to make a decision. Are you in or out? How many have dogs? Just out of curiosity. Dogs? Dog owners? Cat owners? Cat owners? Let's pray for the cat owners right now. That's some good stuff right there. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Join us online on the stream. Also, those who are here in the room, we're so glad that you made the time to come be a part of the Sagebrush family. We're in the middle of a series called In or Out. But before we get into the message today, got one quick announcement I need to make. We have a Sagebrush Academy of Leadership training. We're getting ready to start our winter semester for this. The classes are $50 each. If you want to dive deeper into the Word of God than ever before, if you want some help on theology, you want some help on the Old Testament, uh, you want some help on practical Christian ministry, uh, this is really the area that we look to hire people from, to be honest with you, to be on our staff. And so if you're interested in being a part, and here's what's great, no matter where you're watching us from, you can take these classes online. They're $50 each. And so if you're in California right now, you're in Afghanistan, wherever you might be, and you know, somehow you have heard about us and you're watching right now, you can sign up. Just go to our website or go to our app. Uh, we would love to have you be a part of this upcoming semester. Check it out and get all the information there. All right, let's talk about in or out. There was a pastor, his name is John Weiss. He wrote a book. Uh, John was a missionary for many years to Haiti, then became a pastor in the United States. He goes back from time to time to Haiti. On one particular trip when he was back to Haiti, he saw something that absolutely broke his heart. He saw a young boy begging in the street. Now, if you've ever been to Haiti, you know that that's not uncommon by any stretch of the imagination. What was different about this situation was the bad physical condition this young boy was in. His legs were broken or appeared to be broken at some point. He looked to be crippled. His legs were pointing in different directions, directions that legs should not be pointing towards. And not only that, but John noticed that the young man was also blind. He wasn't able to fixate his eyes on one particular thing. He was just waving his eyes back and forth and back and forth. Of course, he had a bowl. He held his head down. He held the bowl up high, hoping that somebody would have compassion upon him, have some mercy for him, throw some coins into his bowl. But everybody just walked by. Everybody just ignored the plight that the young boy was in. Well, something happened at this point in time. The young boy pulled out a board about that wide, and he was right there by the curb. Now, one of the things you need to understand about Haiti is they don't have a sewer system. All their raw sewage just kind of flows right down the street. All the human waste just kind of flows right down the street. So this young boy was taking this board, and he was putting it down, holding back the raw sewage in front of him, and then with his hands, he was looking for something of value. Now, John said that he had seen many disturbing things before when he was in Haiti. He saw a woman one time drink from a mud puddle. He saw a couple of guys eating garbage. He said, but this was an all-new low. Here we have a blind, crippled child who's, who's begging on the streets, and, and they're working their way through some raw human sewage. 
And he said that little boy found a battery, a nine-volt battery, and he put it under his thigh as if he had found an incredible treasure. So he made make sure that nobody else would take it. John's heart absolutely broke over what he saw. Well, John had just been to the open-air market just down the street. He bought some oranges, some rice, and some beans. So he walks over to the young man, sets those things down, and he grabs the young man's face, and he says, My name is John, and I want to be your friend. And the boy said back, he said, Thank you. He said, My parents broke my legs when I was a baby. Because I was blind, they didn't think that I'd ever be able to bring any money into the home. So they broke my legs so I could be a beggar out here on the street. John just broke down and wept. Gave him all the oranges and the rice and the beans. Pulled out every dime that he had in his pocket. Handed it over to the little boy. He emptied himself to that little boy. Because that's what love does. Love empties itself. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus emptied himself for us. So today we're talking about compassion. Living a life of compassion. Seeing the need and meeting the need. Now last week we looked at Luke chapter 9. This week we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at one of the most famous passages of scripture. It's a story that Jesus told. Let's look at how it begins. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, this person was an expert in Old Testament law, he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now, people back in Jesus' time, just like in our time today, believe that it's something that you do that earns you the right to go to heaven. Again, we've talked about this before, but this is such a, a rampant thought. If we stop the typical person on the street and we say, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? They always say the same thing. They always say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. I think my goodness will get me into heaven. It was the same way in the first century. So they say, come up to Jesus. Say, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now those of you who have been around Sagebrush for all, those of you who have read the Bible before, you know there's nothing good that you can do that, that earns you eternal life. That all the goodness that you have is but filthy rags compared to the holiness of God, right? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the payment that we owe God for our sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. We don't have any way to save ourselves. Now, some of you old timers will remember this story. Some of you newbies won't remember it at all. Uh, there was a little girl years ago, back in 1987... Little girl fell into a hole. The hole was just about eight inches wide, 22 feet deep. Her name was Jessica. The country called her Baby Jessica. Some of you already remember what I'm talking about. Well, the parents were absolutely astonished at what. I mean, one, one moment you see your child, next moment your child's completely gone. And then you take a flashlight, you look down there, and she's 22 feet into the earth. Well, she calls, they call all the people they need to call, the medical personnel, the emergency personnel, and they get there as quickly as they can. But how are they going to rescue this small child who stuck 22 feet down into the earth? Well, they begin to put their heads together, and they come up with different ideas. They begin to open up the hole, and eventually, after 15 hours, they're able to rescue the girl. And when they pulled baby Jessica out of the pit, when she was finally rescued, there wasn't a dry eye. I mean, the, the newscaster was to come, and then they newscasted all over the world what had happened to this child. 
and, and everybody was crying. The rescue workers were crying. The parents were crying. People watching from home all were crying. Why? Because this baby was going to die. And now the baby has life again. But someone had to go down into the pit. Someone had to go down into the hole to rescue that baby because there was no way that baby could rescue themselves. Isn't this the same thing that Jesus did for you and me? Jesus came down into our pit, into our darkness, and into our shame. He did for us that which we could not do for ourselves. He came and he reached down and he lifts us up. And it's nothing that you do, nothing that I do that causes us to get to heaven. It's what he did for us. Jesus took upon all of our sin, died on a cross, rose again from the dead. And it's through the precious blood of Jesus, through his death burial and resurrection that one day we will walk on streets of gold. Now, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we're a good person. It's because he's a good God. And he saw us in the pit of despair that we were in and he came down and he rescued us. Oh, this teacher of the law says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? People still ask the same question today. You don't get to heaven based on what you've done. You get to heaven based upon what Jesus did for you. So if you've not trusted Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life, repent of your sin, friends. Tell God, I don't want to live that way anymore. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, and commit your life to him. Live your life for him from this day forward. So he says, what must I do? What, what, what do we have to do to gain eternal life? So Jesus answers the man's question. He says, what's written in the law, he replied. How, how, do you, how do you read it, he answered. And the lawyer said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? What does it mean when it says he wants to justify himself? What that means is, friends, he wants the bottom line. He's saying, Jesus, you want me to love God? I get that. Love God with everything you got. That makes sense. But then, you know, we got to love our neighbor as ourselves. So could you define neighbor for me? Because I know there's no way you're talking about me loving everybody. Because there's some unlovable people out there. I mean, can you bottom line it for me, Jesus? Are we talking about white people? Do I got to love white people? Do I got to love Hispanics? Do I got to love black people? Do I got to love poor people? Do I got to love rich people? Do I got to love the obnoxious coworker, the, the neighbor with the barking dog? Do I have to love those people as well? Jesus says, oh, you want me to bottom line it for you? And then Jesus tells one of the most famous stories he ever told. Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. Man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, everybody knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the way of blood. 
We've got some pictures of this particular road for you to look at. It was a small little road. Not, not when you call it a road, I call it more of a little gravel path, wouldn't you? Well, about the width of a sidewalk was all that it was. And it winded and it twisted and it turned all around the, the cavernous, mountainous area that was there. It was an easy place for thieves to hide out and to jump on somebody and to rob somebody, especially someone who would be so foolish as to travel this road all by themselves. There was lots of robberies on this road. Lots of people who were beaten up on this road. Everybody knew about the road. And it's assumed that Jesus is saying that this is a Jewish man. He's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. So everybody assumes that who Jesus is talking about is this is a Jewish guy. And he's walking the way of blood by himself. Thieves come and they rob him of that. Leave him for dead on the side of the path. Jesus continues his story. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, the priest was considered the most holy person in, in that generation, in that time period. The, the priest had priestly duties. He worked in the temple. He got to go inside the interior of the temple. He got to go deeper in the temple than the average regular person got to go. So you're putting money on somebody who's going to stop and have compassion for somebody who's been beaten and robbed. You're putting your money on the priest, right? The Levite's next. Who's the Levite? Well, he works in the temple too. He's not as high up as the priest though. But he still has some duties there in the temple. If there's two guys that you would say, oh, obviously, they represent the love of God, the compassion of God, the holiness of God, certainly they will stop and help that person out. But they didn't. And it wasn't like it was a long, wide road, was it? No, they, 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 they had to kind of step over him. Because it's just a little sidewalk, just a little path. Why didn't they help him? Well, I wrote down some excuses as to why people don't help other people, why I think the priest didn't help them, why I think the Levite didn't help him. It took me all of two minutes to write these excuses down. Why, why, why could, how could I write them down so quickly? Because these are the ones I would use. The, the, the first excuse I wrote down was, well, I'm so busy. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Too bad, so sad for you. But I'm so busy. I got, I got places to go, people to see, things to do. I'm an important person. I, got, I, got, I, got, I, I, I can't deal with one. I got to go take care of the masses. I got to go take care of the multitude. I don't have time right now for you. I hope somebody else comes along the way. I really do hope somebody comes and helps you. But I got to go. I got to go. That'd be my first excuse. Or my excuse would be, I don't have the training. I don't have the training. Oh, that's, that's, no, you, you're bad. That's bad. I, I don't know how to stitch you up. I don't know how to help you out. It looks like you, use, you, you need CPR. I've never done CPR. Never had CPR class, and, I, and I'm not putting my mouth on your mouth. I don't know where your mouth has been. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that at all. No. And you might have COVID. You might have COVID. I don't know. You might have COVID. You don't have a mask on. You might have COVID. I don't know. Have you been vaccinated? I don't know. If you've been vaccinated or not, I don't know. <laughs> not going to help you out, man. No way. Ain't no way. No way. No way. No way. Huh? <laughs> Some of you really enjoyed that one, didn't you? Or how about this one? I can't help him. I have any money. I, I just carry credit cards. Got no cash. I got, I got no money on me, man. Like, I'm sorry. I don't think the inn at the midway point uses credit cards. So I'm so sorry. I can't help you at all. 
Or how, how, about, how about this one? This might be a trap. How do, how do I know that you're not part of the thieves and, and, and this is all set up to slow me down and all of a sudden they're going to come around the corner and they're going to rob me too? i got to get out of here as quickly as I can. Or how about, how about this excuse? You, you get what you deserve. I mean, you're a fool. You're, you're, you're traveling along the way of blood. What did you think was going to happen to you? Reap what you sow. You play, you pay. You, you ever notice? I find this interesting. You ever notice how it's hard for us to have compassion upon people that we think deserve what, what they got? You, you ever notice that? There was this woman. She was driving down the road, and she got in a terrible wreck, just terrible wreck. Her car flip-flopping all the way around. And somehow she wasn't injured. She got out of her car and she was waiting for the highway patrolman. Highway patrolman pulled up and he looked at the car and saw the woman sitting on the side of the road. She was reapplying her makeup, putting the lipstick back on, you know. And the officer looked at the car, looked like an accordion, looked like an elephant had stomped on it. He's like, whoa. He said, ma'am, this is, this is incredible. I cannot believe it. Are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. He said, well, can you explain to me what in the world happened that caused you to roll your car this way? She said, it was the strangest thing. I've been driving all day, and I got tired, and I, and I dozed off for just a second. And when I came to, there was a tree right in front of me. So I swerved over to the right, and there was a tree. So I swerved over to the left, and there was another tree. And I swerved over to the right, and there was another tree. And I swerved to the left, and there was another tree. And I swerved to the right, and there was another tree. He said, ma'am, there's not a tree within 30 miles of here. He said, ma'am, that was your car's air freshener swinging back and forth. I think I enjoyed that one more than you did. But you'd be like, oh, yeah, you get what you get. You wake up, what's up? I mean, that's what happens. Hard to have compassion on somebody like that, right? Hard to have compassion on the drug addict. You should have known better. I mean, how many advertisements we got to give you? How many people needed to tell you, stay away from that kind of stuff? Yeah, reap what you sow. Hard to have compassion on the person who just got pulled over and is now in jail for a DUI. How, how many commercials we got to put out there, eh? How many Ubers we got to provide for you? How many taxi cabs we got to provide for you? What in the world are you doing? You can hurt yourself. You can hurt somebody else. Oh, yeah, you deserve what you got. I don't have any compassion for you. It's hard, isn't it? Hard to have compassion on the person who had the affair. Destroyed their wife or their husband. Destroyed their kids. Left their family in disarray. Hard to have compassion on a person like that when they come to their senses and say, man, I, I know I messed up. I just, I just want a second chance. Ah, reap what you sow. You play, you pay. I don't know what the excuse was for the priest and the Levite. What I do know is they stepped right over that guy and they didn't lend one little bit of help to him. They didn't lift one single little pinky toe to help that guy out. They just kept walking on down the road. Now the story takes a radical turn. Jesus continues. He said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Do you, do you remember last week when we talked about how much Samaritans hated Jewish people and how much Jewish people hated Samaritans? Do you remember that? 
And they couldn't stand each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. And they've been taught to do this, right? For 800 years, they've been told to hate the other person. Remember, Samaritans had intermarried with the Assyrians and Jewish people who were pure thought, oh, this is a bunch of half-breeds. They're not worthy of the breath that's in their body. So Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd, right? And he says, all right, now the priest came by, didn't help. Levite came by, didn't help. Now the Samaritan comes. And they're like, oh, boy, here it comes. All the Jewish crowd's like, okay, he's going to kill the man. That's it. It's over. He's going to bend down, pull out a knife, stab him a few more times, finish him off, and head on down the road because that's Samaritan. I tell you what, that's what those Samaritans are all about, right? Kill those Jewish people. But, but, but can you imagine the shock when Jesus tells the story and the Samaritan becomes the hero in the story? It says, when he, the Samaritan, saw the man, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, interestingly enough, the Samaritan could have come up with the exact same excuses that the priest and the Levite came up with. He could have said, I don't have the time. I don't have the training. I don't have any money. You get what you get, man. You reap what you sow. I mean, after all, you're a Jewish guy. I don't want anything to do with you. Why why did he stop? Because he had a heart of compassion. He, He couldn't ignore it. There was something different about him When he saw someone hurting, when he saw someone struggling, when he saw someone who needed a helping hand, he couldn't walk by. Something inside of him caused him to want to do everything that he could possibly do to help that man out along the way. Jesus looked at the teacher of the law and said, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan for fear it would get caught in his throat. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus can't stand it when we treat people who are different from us differently. Who who is your neighbor? Anyone who has a need? Anybody who's hurting? Anyone who could use a helping hand? Jesus makes this one thing clear. Loving Christ is about loving your neighbor as yourself. So so what what do you bet? Because we always say, well, why would I be more compassionate if I, I, I saw more people in need? What do you bet there's people in need all around you right now? I bet there's a teenager in this room listening to my words that could use some compassion because he's not getting it at home. No, whatever he does is never good enough. His, his parents make sure that he, they, you know, he knows that. He's never going to measure up. He's never going to hit the standard that they're looking for. And he's been beaten down by their words on more than one occasion over and over and over again. And his self-esteem has taken one hit after another and... He's confused and he's upset and he doesn't have any confidence in who he is and who Christ made him to be. I I just think he could use some compassion, don't you? I think he could use a listening ear. Maybe 
You could serve in our student ministry, help somebody else like that, huh? What do you bet that there's a, a senior adult last few weeks went to a doctor's appointment? They've been having some problems, a bit of pain. They got an MRI. There's a tumor there. It turns out after the biopsy, it's cancerous. And they're sitting here today. And their whole world's been turned upside down. I bet they could use a friend, don't you think? I think they could use a word of compassion. I bet there's a college student, maybe in this room, maybe watching me at home. Finals didn't go so great. You flunked the class that you needed to graduate. Now you don't know what in the world you're going to do. I bet you could use some compassion right now too, huh? That there might be a woman here today who's got her makeup on a little thick because she's trying to cover up the bruises from her boyfriend or from her husband. She could use some help. She could use somebody who cares, who enters into her world, who gives her hope. Don't you think? I bet you anything there's a couple in this room who last night had one heck of a fight. And they said terrible things to each other and they cussed at each other and they threw things and they went to bed in separate rooms. They've come here today with one last ditch effort. Hopes that something is said, something is done that could somehow bring their marriage back together again. If your marriage is hanging on by a thread, you need to get in our re-engage ministry. You need to stop by the first steps room or you need to text us and say re-engage we'll help you we've got a ministry that can help you with that we've got a lot of compassionate people who've seen a lot of success in helping couples who are very much fractured what do you bet somebody here today or maybe somebody watching at home and you keep returning to the thing that you promised yourself you wouldn't return to anymore it's the porn, it's the drugs, it's the alcohol. And you've tried so hard to break free. And you feel so lost and you feel so alone and you feel so much like a failure and you're not even sure you have the strength to even get up and try again. The last place you'd ever think of coming is a church because all they would do is judge you and condemn you and make you feel worse than you already do. I'm so glad to tell you that you've tuned into a church that cares about you no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're currently in. We have a group of people in our Living Free ministry that would love to show you compassion, that would love to give you some accountability and give you a new path to walk down so you don't have to walk down the old path anymore. You can break the cycle of abuse because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He can help you. He can sustain you. He can give you the perseverance one day at a time to become the person that you always dreamed that you could be. Here's the bottom line. There's opportunities for you and for me to be compassionate everywhere we go. The question is, is will we see it? Will we be the hands and feet of Jesus, or will we look for somebody else to do what needs to be done? You see, I, I, I think it's ridiculous that people can come to church week after week after week after week after week and... All they do is come to service, or all they do is they tune in, and that's it. They give money, and we appreciate that. We can do a lot with that money. We can care for a lot of people with that money, but they never get involved, you know? They never really get their hands dirty. They have opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They have the opportunities to minister to somebody else, to be used in a way that they never dreamed that somebody could ever be used. 
but they never do it. They never sign up. They, they never do more than just watch. They never do more than just sit. And, and they wonder why their Christian life is so boring. And they think to themselves, there's got to be more to following Jesus than just going to church. And there is. You get to be Jesus. You get to represent Jesus in every conversation, in every need, in every opportunity, in every room that you walk into. There are hurting people everywhere you go. But do we see them? And will we do what needs to be done? I read a story this past week about a pastor. He started praying for a heart of compassion. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. You know that, right? You start praying, God, give me a heart of compassion, all of a sudden God's going to give you opportunities to see if you really want it. Because when you show compassion to somebody else, I'm going to tell you right now, it always costs you. It always does, but it's a price worth paying. So he begins to pray. It's a pastor. God, give me a heart of compassion. I just don't feel like I've got the compassionate heart that you would want me to have. Well, from his house to his church, he drove back and forth several times a week. And, and there was one particular sign that caught up his attention. It was called the, the Stillwater Center. He always thought that it was a nursing home. He didn't know for certain what those people did on the inside of that center in there. And so he thought one day, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for me and the church. I could tell the church, hey, we have an opportunity to minister and we get some compassionate people. We can go and be a light in a nursing home. So he crawls up thinking that it's a nursing home. And he gets out of the car. He walks up to the receptionist inside the foyer. And he says, hey, I'm a pastor of the church down the way, and I've got a lot of people go to my church, and I just think I could give them an opportunity to tell them what you guys do, and maybe some of them will want to come and help and serve. So the receptionist buzzes the director, and the director comes down, and they begin to have a, a chat. He said, this is a really nice nursing home that you've got. And the director said, well, thank you, but it's not a nursing home. He said, what, what, what is this place? What, what do you do here? He said, the Stillwater Center, we take care of the children that nobody else wants to take care of. Their, their parents have become overwhelmed with the medical issues, and so they drop their children off here, or their medical issues are so bad that there's no way their parents could actually provide for them, could take care of them. He said, the best way for me to tell you about what, the, uh, what we do here is to show you. You mind going on a little tour? He said, I'd love to. They walked down a long corridor down the hallway. They went into a room. He said, from a distance, the people in the beds looked like they were stuffed animals. He walked over to the first bed. It's a little boy named Stephen, age 11. He looked like a, just a mass of, of flesh, a mass of tissue. No distinguishing real characteristics of a human being there. And the pastor had to look away for a brief moment because he had never seen anything like that before in his life. And he looked at the director and he said, how long has Stephen been here? And the director said, well, as long as I can remember. They walked out of that room and they walked down the hallway a little bit farther and they walked into the next room. They stood by the bed of this girl, but she didn't look like a girl. She didn't look human. She only had a partial face pastor said, I've never seen anything like this before. It horrified me. It scared me. I had to look away. The director said, this is, this is Laura. 
And then the pastor did a glance back and he saw the director caress her cheek and take her hair and pull it behind her partial ear. And the pastor looked at that director and he said, this man's Jesus. Because this is what Jesus would do if he was here in this room with this girl. They went from room to room. The director on the way out said uh, something about how Jesus had got him through every day and that he was a Christian. The pastor thanked him for the tour, didn't really know for certain how his congregation could help. Kind of shocked over the whole thing that he saw. Got into his car, got ready to tart it up, but he grew too emotional. All he could think about was that director caressing that girl's cheek, placing her hair behind her ear. He said, what, what caused that man to have the compassion that he had? Maybe, maybe, maybe he's just more of a compassionate person. You know, you've met some people who are more compassionate than other people, but you know, that only takes you so far, right? Then the pastor thought to himself, well, maybe it's his training. You know, he probably went to school for this, and so he's learned to be compassionate. But all the training in the world, and you would probably burn out after what? A couple of weeks? Maybe a couple of months? What's different about this man? And then it occurred to the pastor. I know what it is. It's his heart. Better yet, it's Jesus' heart pumping inside that man's chest. The pastor there in the silence of his vehicle, he prayed to God, oh God, give me Jesus' heart for other people. May there never be another moment, may there never be another day where I see a need and I turn away from the need. I don't see what needs to be done. And when I do see what needs to be done, give me the courage and the strength to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to help somebody else along the way. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He got off his donkey and helped the man in need. So what's the application for this talk? Well, we need to get off our donkey. Aren't you glad I didn't say it from the King James Version? (laughs) Get off your donkey. And meet a need. Are you in? Or are you out? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we run too fast. We get too consumed with ourselves. We've got places to go, people to see, things to do. We miss it. I know I do. I don't want to miss it anymore. I want to be your hands and your feet. I want your heart to beat in my chest. And I know I'm not alone. That's what we want. That's what we want to be. We want to be a difference maker. We want to be people who bring love and compassion and mercy to every room, every situation, to every human life. So help us, Lord, to develop this, to be just like you, no matter where we are, no matter what we do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.